When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Here we go again, seems to be the phrase of the week. Good, uh, well, I was going to say good morning, but it is about 11.30 on Thursday morning. Things may change uh, as uh, by the time you've heard this podcast because we're in a rapidly changing environment. Um, welcome to the Caucus Podcast. I'm Tim Watkin. And I'm Lisa Owen, and the hamster is moving very fast in the wheel at the moment, Tim. Oh, yes. And kia ora tato. I'm Scott Campbell, all the way from Tauranga, outside your bubble in Auckland. <sighs> Go on, rub it in, mate. Tell us some more. What's it like down there in Freedom Land? Well, it's beautiful, fine, and I had a coffee this morning with uh, with it. Well, it was an elbow touch, so I, I did do that. Nice. In case you're wondering, Guyon is on leave this week. He was clearly part of the conspiracy and got out of town um, uh, before. Uh, but no, I said he's on leave. Not he's not leak. Not on leak. He's on leave. <laughs> but he'll be back. He'll be back in August next week. Um, boy. In the past week, there's been the Labour Party launch, there's been electric selections and deals, and we'll get to some of those, but really there's only one place to start this week. Um, we talked last week a little bit about the election beginning with the letter C, COVID, um, and then it all happened. Well, this happened. Kia ora katoa. Good evening, everyone. After 102 days, we have our first cases of COVID-19 outside of a managed isolation or quarantine facility in New Zealand. So as the PM has said, we actually have four confirmed cases of COVID-19 in one family acquired from an unknown source. Yeah, well, didn't that escalate very quickly? And now we have, as at this morning, we've got four probable cases and, and one case linked to a school. And we're not sure whether that's an additional one or part of the same. And hundreds hundreds of contacts um, that now need to be traced. And the order that came out from Ashley Bloomfield uh, basically telling people that they have to stay home if they've been to certain businesses in Auckland, anyone connected mm. to them has to stay home too. So it has spread exponentially, as we've seen before, from these four confirmed cases to now affecting hundreds of people, hundreds of businesses, hundreds of workers. We hope for something, you know, uh, kind of contained, but suddenly you've got one of the biggest schools in the country, you've got a trip to Rotorua, one of the biggest tourist destinations in the country. It couldn't get much worse, Scotty. No, not at all. And and hundreds of millions of dollars every day uh, through the economy in Auckland, which is being lost. And, you know, one of the things that sort of um, I've been thinking this morning is when we went into the first lockdown, it was almost like we were anxious, we were concerned, nobody knew what was going on. So we listened to the PM every day. Uh, and we and we believed everything that was being said, and we sat there and we did our job, which was to stay home, wash our hands. This time, it feels almost like people are a little bit frustrated. What's going on? Um, when when can you give us some answers? Businesses don't know whether they should be opened or closed, uh, and it escalated so quickly. Day one of the election campaign with the PM on the trail down country, and then all of a sudden, 9:25, I think it was at night, that alert came through that. 
switch on your TV, turn on your radio, look on Facebook. Here so, we go again. So what do you reckon? Do, do you, that's suggesting you think that actually this, the, this could be bad for Labour, for the government parties? Uh, I think it, it's it's probably twofold, right? One, it gets the PM on the box every day for as long as this lockdown period continues, which means um, she, you know, we're back in that bubble again of hanging on every word that comes out at those briefings every day. They are pretty much a party political briefing. They need an authorization statement stamped over the bottom of them, uh, almost. Um, but we have to believe and take their word for it, right? Um, where it potentially becomes a problem I see for Labour is the longer it drags on, the more likely it is that the economy crashes, the more likely it is that people start getting upset about not having a test uh, and standing in line for 12 hours. That's the noise that Labour will be really um, keen to get away from. Yeah, well, we talked a little bit about that last week, which is when we were mentioning policy, where is the policy? And there seemed to be general agreement in our caucus that Hmm. perhaps it was a strategy. You know, just don't annoy anyone, don't do anything wrong, wait it out and reap the wards at the election. Now you have a situation, as Scotty has pointed out, where there are so many moving parts that you have absolutely no control over whatsoever. Jacinda Ardern was saying this is the COVID election. She she used that phrase a couple of times, and it was was potentially a strength for her when as we were talking about it last week, it was the COVID election because she was the strong leader. Now it's the COVID election that, well, who the heck knows what's going to happen? Yeah, and and if it goes well, if this gets contained quickly, then it is a show of her competence in the position. If it doesn't, as Scotty has pointed out, then you have the potential um, to lose support. And we are doing this the second time round. We won't know until Friday if it's going to spread wider or Mm -hmm. last longer in terms of the constraints on people's movements and significantly, as Scotty points out, business, which is a very vocal voice and a voice that the National Party is trying to tap into right now. A lot of this depends on where the transmission comes from, right? If if it if it can be pinned on a government failure, then um, then there is more accountability. If it's somehow one of those things that somehow has happened by chance, then they get away with it. Is is that fair? Yeah, I, I almost think they it's it's if if they can't figure out what the source is, then maybe that's even worse because then it just leaves this uncertainty in the air. At least if they're able to say, yep, it came through the border and whoops, it was it was a problem of somebody sleeping on the job they can at least put their hand up and try and fix it. But this this uncertainty that might drive it, and if the longer we stay in lockdown, the more likely it is that people become frustrated. Last week, the PM was strolling to victory and the Labour Party was home and hose by themselves, maybe take the Greens if they really wanted to. Now, it's they're in a position where people might start questioning them. And I still think it's absolutely Labour's election to lose. Because she still does get that podium of power, right? Actually, in a crisis, does it? Does it? Um, to push back on that, in the crisis, people might even be more inclined to say, "Well, well, we we a we don't um, want to change horses midstream because we're we're worried about what's going to happen next. At least these guys have got some experience. Um, they they were they were good the first time round. Maybe want to stick to them, and even more so." We want to stick with just them. I, mean, I wonder whether this sucks oxygen away from the minor parties even more so and, and forces it back on a Labour and maybe just Labour and National. I agree with you to a certain extent. It's what we call in the business incumbent bias. It is. So you're, so you're, yeah, you're already in there, so there's a bias towards you. And then, as Scotty has pointed out, you're on the podium every other day and all over the news bulletins. 
I don't know how you avoid that because an argument has been made, and I know Scotty's got some strong views on this, that perhaps um, it should just be the Director General of Health, Ashley Bloomfield, who gets up there and tells New Zealand what's happening every day. But really, can we not have our leader there, whoever that leader is, do not the citizens of the country want to hear from the person who is in control of the country? And hear them be asked questions and pushed. Yeah, and hear them be yeah. asked questions. Oh, 100%. And I agree that we need the PM standing on the lectern and doing the job that we really want, which is to lead, right? I get that. And, I, and I'm not criticising the PM for doing that because I think she's done a fantastic job and I support her being up there. What, where, where I have some concerns at the moment is that we are, what, five weeks out from polling and in the interest of being fair either she should step away from the podium and let the director general take most of that press conference uh, or we get into a situation and I'm not really that keen on this but having Judith Collins at the lectern as well so then at least you've got some sense of balance or fairness and FaceTime. As a journalist I want access to the Prime Minister and I want her to be asked questions and I want the government to be challenged on their response and what they are doing. And I think that there has been a time where it's been difficult during COVID-19 to ask questions because there's been little tolerance that's my perception, in the public for challenging officials in a time of severe crisis. Right. You know, people don't, don't like conflict. They don't like the butting of heads in situations like this. But we do have to keep asking the challenging questions, and that is about access. And if you go back to that, that first time, I think you can make a good argument, Scott, that those um, the first time round, those daily briefings did go on too long, and they went on too long I would assume for cynical political reasons. I think they kept those going probably a week or two longer than just because they knew they could get the just prime minister. Just a week or two. Well, fair point. Maybe a few good few weeks where they knew they could get the prime minister out there with thousands of people seeing her day in day out. It was a political play. I think some of that. So look, I, you're right, and 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 it's a question of timing then, right? Because I think we'd all agree in the week of an election, there's no way we could be doing this. So how far is it? Two weeks? Is it three weeks? Is it five weeks? Is it ten weeks? Where is the line? Yeah, I think, but but maybe after the outing of Judith Collins and uh, Jerry Brownlee yesterday, maybe the less that we see of those two at the podium, the better, almost. Um, I, I do think, though, at the moment, uh, you've got a prime minister who is every day has the nation in her hands. Uh, and as a leader of the country, great. Uh, but I think when she starts going into um, policy areas while standing on that lectern, that's where I think there needs to be some uh, questions about whether or not she's straying into party politics versus and, and, being the Prime Minister. And look, Collins is absolutely right. Let's give her credit. You know, the, the Cabinet Manual does say, talk about successive governments having chosen to restrict their actions to some extent during this time. And so what does that restricting of the actions look like? She's absolutely right in the wording of the uh, the clause in the manual, but it's open to interpretation yep. as to whether she's absolutely right about what that means. There is no, let's be clear, there is no constitutional obligation um, around pre-election behaviour. 
Yeah, and, and it says in the period immediately before a general election, the government is not bound by the caretaker convention unless the election has resulted from the government losing the confidence of the House. And I am reading directly from section 6.9 of the Cabinet Manual, which is the one that Judith Collins continues to refer to. So the thing is... It's accepted that governments don't make big decisions. They don't appoint someone to the head of a department. They don't get a new CEO here in the lead-up to potentially a change in government. And they don't get to run ads that could be, well, considered to be sort of a soft sell for their election campaign. But they get to be a government. That's what they're there for. So it is about where that line in is. But to go on to 6.11, restraints have tended to be applied from about three months before the general election. We are in the zone where we have to be careful. Yeah, we, but what we are, are those restraints? We, we are in the zone. And I, but I also think that you've got a, a prime minister who said, or, or a government that said not too long ago that they would be the most open and transparent government. Uh, and you've got a position at the moment. And, and it's smart politics. I think her standing up to every day uh, with the country uh, hanging on every word is smart politics. Um, but do they really want any questions about whether or not um, there was fairness and in the interest of transparency over this period. They don't need it. They can literally walk to this election, and unless they monumentally hmm. stuff things up, uh, she will become the prime minister. That's interesting. Again. So it could be it could be good for Ardern to step away from that podium in the next few days. Once the questions get once we know more, and the questions get tougher potentially. Well, let Jerry and, and Judith come up with the conspiracy theories. Well, talking about conspiracy yeah. theories, let's have a listen to um, what Jerry Brownlee said at uh, the press conference that Collins and he held uh, on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, and then you had the Prime Minister's visit to the mask factory yesterday, uh, along with, or Monday was it, along with uh, uh, Dr Bloomfield after 103 days of, of no community transmission, uh, having a test himself. Uh, all very interesting things to have happened uh, a matter of hours before there was a notification of uh, a, the largest uh, residential part of New Zealand going into uh, Level 3 lockdown. I found this press conference absolutely spellbinding. And <laughs> in that kind of what's going to happen next yeah. way? And, um, <clears throat> Not the... Touchdown kind of way? I think that it was <laughs> extraordinary, the implications of what he was saying. While he didn't expressly state it, he went right to the line and then stopped, what, an, you know, barely a millimetre from from the assertion that in some way this was known by uh, the Prime Minister and officials but withheld from the public the information that would, was announced in the press conference saying we had community transmission back. Show me the evidence, Mr Brownlee. If you were going to make what is such a serious allegation... Yeah. Present some evidence. These are extraordinary times. We do not need to panic people. And so bring something to the table. The other thing that was suggested there is that information is being withheld. And Judith Collins uh, raises some fair points about uh, being involved in the sharing of information and decision-making. So tell me, tell me as a voter exactly what it is that you aren't being told? What information is it exactly that you want access to? How do you wish to be involved? Because so far, this is what I've heard, that she would have gone ahead with the lockdown 
that we're now experiencing in Auckland. Yep. She said there she was said no, there's no other route. The National Party generally has said it would spend the same amount of money. Its repayment program would be slightly different, but it wouldn't have austerity. So, I'm sorry, just tell me what you're going to do differently. And let's not be cute about it. Um, you, you say bring the information to the table, Jerry. Um, he clearly was implying that the fact that uh, the Prime Minister, the um, Jacinda Ardern, went to a mask factory, the fact that um, Ashley Burnfield had a swab test the, the day before, the implications are, are clear that they were doing that on, on the basis of information. That is a, uh, astounding. I mean, it, I don't think it's that subtle, right? We're not really being... He's not really being that, that clever. He's, he's actually making a very clear accusation. Scotty? Yeah, oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, he just joined the tin foil hat-wearing brigade that came out the other night. And... Why? Uh, there was no good reason that I can see that Jerry needed to do that other than to cause mischief. And Well, that's an interesting uh, question for National. Is, was that just him going rogue for a couple of minutes or was that a strategic decision to actually try and throw nah, the cat Jerry, amongst the Jerry, pigeons? Jerry, you know, to, to coin uh, Winston Peters, Jerry is the woodwork teacher, but he's been around Parliament for long enough that he knows when he has the mic um, that whatever he says is done for a reason. I, I don't think that it was... Uh, just the off-the-cuff comment. I think there was strategy that had gone behind it, um, and and it was it wasn't needed. You you want that alternative government to be showing some form of restraint, surely. Scotty, your profession now is crisis management, right? Partly. So yes. in a crisis, how how do you challenge the status quo? without sounding like whingy, woe-is-us opposition? Well, I think what they um, what they should be doing, uh, if I was giving them advice, um, is, is... This is a freebie. Doing, is a freebie, yeah. <laughs> is, is backing the government to try and show that you are supporting them, right? You need to be doing that because what the country wants is for us to get through this thing quickly. Um, now, if you're standing there and offering alternatives, though, and this is what I'm not hearing from them, I think this was your point before, Lisa, there's no alternative. You've got a um, an economy in Auckland that is bleeding hundreds of millions of dollars every day. Uh, they should be focusing on that. Go and talk to, virtually, uh, the people around the business community in Auckland about ways to try and help the economy and put them forward as alternatives. They're not doing that. Well, one alternative they put forward was whether they should um, potentially delay, we should be delaying the election at all. That that they do have a view on. And this is what uh, Judith Collins said about that. We are now in the Auckland region, which is a third of the population, in a level three lockdown. The rest of the country in level two lockdown. It is simply unsustainable to expect there to be a fair and just election at a time when the opposition parties and other parties of government are not free to, uh, elect, to campaign, but also when people have no certainty as to whether or not they're going to be able to personally cast their vote on election day. And interestingly enough, New Zealand First Leader Winston Peters has got an open mind on this. Do you think that the Should election, the election be held on September 19? Again, I can't answer that question. It has to be done not just with uh, New Zealand First or the Do I Say the Party or the government uh, parties. It has to be across the political divide you'd have to make that decision so it's fair and reasonable. 
It's interesting that he sees it as a parliamentary decision rather than a governmental one. He's a funny old constitutionalist. Well, it's actually the Prime person. Minister's decision. <laughs> but though I, If you listen to Andrew Geddes, yes. who, who this is his mastermind subject, um, he has said it's, well, it's the Prime Minister's decision until you get up against the um, the dissolution of Parliament. And Which is interestingly ex- inclusive then of Winston to actually want to draw the opposition parties into it. Um, but I don't know, guys, can we, how late can we wait? before we actually have to decide? Well, until we constitutionally have to. Uh, and, and you know, it's in the PM's um, decision. It totally is up to her at the moment. About it's also when... in her interest to, to go ahead, right? Do we agree Absolutely. on that? That, the sooner, that? that if it can go ahead, she doesn't want to delay politically. Public health-wise, another well, issue, but politically she doesn't want to delay, right? Yeah, I, I agree. The longer the longer it goes on, the more likely chance or more potential there is for something bad to, to happen, right? The economy crashes... Um, the country goes back into level four, or we have um, an outbreak like Melbourne. Now, you know, touch wood, that doesn't happen. But if it does, then we have some trouble. The mood um, turns. But, and, and, but also, and National has a mountain to climb, right? And so the longer they get to climb the mountain, the better. Absolutely. And, and I think one of the things with National that we're seeing at the moment is that Judith Collins is giving their people a reason to believe in something. Maybe not all of them because they're fighting a little bit, but um, they've got some reason to believe again now. And the longer she has to go and um, cultivate that belief, the better for National. I think it's a very difficult situation for um, the parties in the sense that oxygen has been taken away from their campaigns, not just because of um, the the COVID-19 and the restrictions uh, around that, it's because the Prime Minister is up there every day, is what Scotty is saying. But they can't actually go out and, and door knock. They can't move between the different electorates. They are severely restricted in how they can campaign. I mean, you were saying, Scotty, why not go online? Um, but we, we're just not in that frame of mind. It's, no. it's, it's kind of old school electioneering. How many of them have their buses? We saw Winston Peters driving up, up, up yep. with his bus. And, then and the walkabout is still so the key. The walkabout, to, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. The human contact and face-to-face contact. You're right, it's the campaign. Because election day, you could actually get away with, right? You could actually queue people up outside election booths just like a supermarket. So election day, I reckon you could manage. There are and there are many more election halls and church halls and booths and so forth than there are supermarkets. So you could dis- social distance people in election, but it's the campaign that's the hard bit, right? Yeah, and that's yeah, how you. I, I think it's a fair call. I think it's a fair call that it should be delayed. Um, and but I can understand why the PM won't want to. Um, what made what made me laugh this week was it wasn't too long ago when Donald Trump was saying let's delay the election in, in the US, and everybody thought he was just a nutter. Um, now we're saying. <laughs> Maybe we should delay it here. Yeah, look, it's a good point. It depends which side you're on, right? And the other thing to remember is regardless of the date that the Prime Minister sets, once she has set it, responsibility then goes over to the Electoral Commission who will be considering the health implications. So even if we have a date set that we're working towards, if at any point the Commission feels that we are unable to safely exercise that election, then it's their prerogative to make arrangements and push the date out. And and, and as it stands under the terms of this parliament, it's November 21st is the the last date, right? So um, they'd have to basically... As, as far as I understand it, you know, create some kind of extension, actually pass a, a law of some kind to extend it to next year. They could go up to November 21, but that's, 
you know, a month from Christmas. Imagine coal- imagine time for the specials to get counted after that, and then for coalition negotiations to potentially happen. You, that that November twenty one seems too late, doesn't it? Yeah, and that's what Judith Collins was mentioning when she talked about the super majority. After you get past a certain date, you can put it back to Parliament to go longer for a date, and from memory, would require seventy five percent support in order to do that. Right. I yeah. do think, though, this delay is a little bit of mischief making again, though. People in, people out in the regions, people um, you know, at home today, locked down in Auckland, are more worried about what's going to be on the table for dinner this, this evening uh, and whether or not they have a job tomorrow than are we voting on September 19 or October the 21st. Yeah, fair call. It's a it's a bit of a geek argument, isn't it? So let's move on to whoa. Sorry, I just banged the. T- <laughs> I just about kicked Lisa under the table there, everybody. It's getting overexcited. Overexcited because it was a very talking about overexcited is a good segue because the Labour Party campaign launch happened this weekend, um, and in amongst it, um, Jacinda Ardern was not surprisingly the, the one and only star show on the stage, and she said this. Now, despite the many things we have done, we haven't always reached every goal. We wanted more homes for first home buyers. We wanted light rail in Auckland. But we've had to accept that sometimes when you try things that have never been done before, you won't always succeed. But that doesn't mean you should give up. So that was Jacinda Ardern pretty clearly pointing a lot of their policy for the second term is basically more of what they couldn't do in their first term. Yeah, well, that's interesting because I was watching with interest uh, as the other side, National, launched their policy this week for law and order. And that seemed a lot like what I've seen over the last decade or longer um, with elements of Bill English policy, John Key, um, stuff that was developed under Simon Bridges, get tough on crime, let's smash the gangs, no gang insignia. So they're recycling policy too. It's a reheat election. Yeah, and and in some ways they don't really need to come up with new ideas, right? Because we've got COVID right in front of us. I loved the um, PM's tweet from uh, from the launch, and she said thanks very much to Grant Robertson for this photo, which was totally manufactured, and it looked like a professional photo. And if Grant takes those sorts of photos, sorry, the Minister of Finance takes those sorts of photos, <laughs> he's got absolutely got a job once he <laughs> once he leaves Parliament. It was it was an incredible. I, I went along on Saturday afternoon, and it felt like an election rally. I, I haven't been to a Labour Party campaign launch like that for a long time. Usually, there is a you know there is a there might be degrees of hope, but this was just triumphant, and and that was so carefully staged. You got two people who live at the same address got to speak on stage. Clark Gayford introduced to Cinder Dune, and that was it. I mean, national. You know, last time you'd have Bill English and Paula Bennett and so forth line it leading into John Key. This was just Ardoon. It's the, all about Ardoon. It's the presidential style campaign. So presidential. We don't we don't vote for the prime minister, but we might yet, as well be this time. Yet the focus has come come on these individuals in the same way with opposition. Obviously, with Judith Collins is taking the front and centre position there, and people are talking about her her party is talking about how she's rating in the preferred prime minister stakes when actually. That kind of doesn't matter because it's the overall percentage of the vote you get. We're not voting for Judith Collins and we're not voting for Jacinda no. Ardern on paper. Exactly. But actually, people are, aren't they, Scotty? But but buoyant though. They they just looked like they were um, just loving every moment of that election campaign. It was launch, right? It was it was fizzing. And, and I think it harks back a little bit to the John Key second um, term, you know, and and that. 
look of the National Party that was just riding high and couldn't do anything wrong. And and that's the feeling I got from uh, watching the Labour Party coverage. Yeah. It's like a sports person running out of the tunnel, high-fiving all the fans on the side before they <laughs> get to the court. And it has to be said... Judith Collins and the National Party have been robbed of that opportunity, arguably, because of what has happened with COVID. Um, And she has referenced this. It's another unfairness. They don't get to do their big rah-rah-rah launch because they had planned that for Auckland. This this weekend. And, you know, the blinds are down and the door is shut in Auckland at the moment. Yeah. Um, It's it's another really hard one. And um, talking about hard ones, the Auckland Central candidacy has been a really difficult process for the National Party. Um, the winner, though, they have a winner, and it's... Uh, I think uh, the word you're looking for is awkward, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, awkward. Emma Mallow. Emma Mallow, she is... Um, well, she's very typical of, of people entering politics these days, right? She's been a political staffer. She's had a career in comms. She was a student politician and did some business years. She could have been... She could be one of about 20 people coming into to Parliament, but she is highly regarded with the National Party. It's going to be a tight race, um, but as I said, I'm going to be working really hard to win the support of Auckland Central. I'll be door knocking from tomorrow. I've got a strong team behind me and I'm excited to get out there. She sounds awfully like uh, another um, person who's getting a lot of limelight at the moment and, and her trajectory to the to the top role. Yes, indeed. Um, I think one of the things with Emma um, is, is she's been around that party for a long time. Uh, she has been one of those people that was holding the placards out in the rain uh, over the last um, 10 years or, or so in other elections. Um, but that process, uh, messy, messy, and then move from Manurewa uh, and that fiasco was just, what that showed me was a party in real trouble. National for a long time has held on to this view that it's only Labour that has fractures and, and it's only Labour that has um, all of these different um parts to their party. Well, what this has shown is that actually National does too. And in case, dear listener, you're wondering whether you're going to get to hear it, oh, yes, you are. Come and move. Move, it's Marcus. Welcome and good evening. Oh, hi, Marcus. Look, I'm in Manuera and I'm a bit confused because there's billboards all over the place with this uh, Nui uh, girl and uh, then I understand that she's also standing in Auckland Central. Can you have a candidate in one electorate also standing for another? Yeah, I think um, I think she wants to be given the candidacy in a seat that she's got more of a chance to get, but there's been some shenanigans and how that candidate was chosen. She's already standing in Manuera, and I was ready to vote for her, but now I understand that she's going to over to Auckland Central. I'm that confused. And here's the thing. Emma Mallow, are people thinking Emma Mallow? No, they're thinking about all of this kerfuffle around the party. Her winning that selection is somewhat overshadowed by the fact you've got a senior board member here from the National Party. So Roger Bridge from Canterbury. Yep, allegedly involved in, well, running down one of their candidates by posing as a talkback caller. It's just so messy. It is, well, it's dirty politics, isn't it? Because it's a personal attack on a particular candidate. Here's the thing. I don't think... 
um, anybody would be surprised, or maybe you were surprised to know that, that parties would set up people to to send in people either honestly or or under pseudonyms to ring up. Um, talk back and try and have a you know push their push their party's agendas. You know every party would have activists ringing up and saying, "Hey, you know so and so's bad, so and so's good," and they're not always not going to say, "Hey, I'm a Green Party activist. I'm here to to, to support the Green Party." They're just going to have a go at the other side. No, but the point is, isn't it, Scotty? That usually when people do that, they are supporting the party that they're ringing <laughs> yes, up it's for. It's the other side. <laughs> but, but, that's and right. that's that's where it's so messy. Is normally you're having a crack at the other side, yeah. not your own side. <laughs> But it does raise, yeah, it raises huge questions for me because obviously there were these photos circulating of another candidate. They were made out to be something that they weren't. It was really smutty and now to have the implication that a senior board member was involved is, well, it doesn't look good. And the other thing I've noticed and I find really interesting, Judith Collins came out hard at the beginning of the campaign, said she wouldn't tolerate personal attacks and dirty politics. And then she's distancing herself from dealing with this by saying it's a matter for the party board. Well, guess what, Judith Collins? As leader of the National Party, you are on the board. Seat on the board. Yeah, and I'm sorry, if you can't go and uh, interfere in the party politics uh, side of it when you've got one of your board members ringing talkback radio, uh, then how is it that you think you can sit on the ninth floor of the beehive and run the country through a pandemic? Um, Either step up and show some leadership or get out of the way. What about Auckland Central itself? Um, This must make it hard for Mallow to to come in. Um, Nikki Kay famously knocked on 10,000 doors in, in 2008 and 2011 to uh, to get the seat off um, Labour. And this is, remember, a seat that has been Labour for 90 years before that, apart from the one little blip of Sandra Lee with the Alliance. Um, it was a huge win by Nikki Kay. Can, can someone from National really come in and take it again, even though the party is incumbent? Well, I think one of the, um, the the person to watch out for in this one is is Chloe Swarbrick because she is um, she is that younger, hip Auckland type of vote uh, that might actually get out. Given the fact that we have two referenda, that might suit their views. Uh, and and she, if the worst thing that could happen almost for the left is that she takes some of the votes, Labor takes the other part of it, uh, and Emma strolls through the middle. The Greens have never got above 20, have, 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 since they've existed, the Greens from 2002 on have polled between 13 and 23% as the party vote in Auckland Central. So it's not like it's a great Green base. Abs- no, it's not, but she's spent a lot of time uh, at the university campuses. For over the last three years, if you look at any debate around Auckland Central in the, in the university campuses, uh, on the radio stations in Auckland, Chloe has been there. Let's assume that we get the same kind of turnout in Auckland Central, just for a giggle here. Let's pretend that it's all open and we get the same kind of turnout. Um, As Tim points out, the Green Party has not done well in this seat. And Denise Roach was the last candidate, right? She had a reasonable profile, was well known. And she... Local council involvement. Yeah, local council, absolutely, was in the political um, sphere, all the rest of it. You know, Chloe Swarbrick's going to have to get four times four times what what the Green candidates have got in the past to be in the hunt. And there's only about 1,500 votes in it. The other thing is that in terms of the national um, party supporters, they uh, they tend to use their two ticks 
for their party, for their candidate yeah. and their party in Auckland Central. Other parties are, are not the same. So Green Party, um, I looked at their vote splitting. So people who voted for the Green Party overall, only 25% of them in Auckland Central directed their candidate vote yep. to um, the Green candidate. So there's some interesting vote splitting there. And if you want to get your nerd on, I fully recommend you go to the Electoral Commission site, you look for the election results, Click on statistics. That's where all the good dirt yeah. is, and you can see Roche how it's split. Roche has done okay. It did, did okay in a couple. If you go back a couple, she actually beat Ardern into third third place in um, in one of those uh, the ones. Um, so she's not, you know, that you can make an argument from that that Swarbrick does have a chance to be able to to push through. Well, and if you're if you're national, you'd be talking her up, right? Because you want her to try and get as many votes as possible. Because there will be a uh, a lot of people who will vote Labour simply on the back of the Prime Minister, uh, and all of a sudden you've got vote splitting on the left. Well, weirdly, the the if you look back through Auckland Central, um, Helen White, who's the um, uh, candidate this time yep, for, for Labour. Uh, she got their vote back up to 37% um, last election after it had dropped down under Jacinda Ardern because Ardern had, had not had suffered from the vote splitting that you're talking about, Lisa. Yeah, I think there's been some interesting messaging from Labour and from Helen White directly, which is this message, and this is their message, we've got confidence that the Greens are going to get back in on the party vote. So it's that sort of, not even that subtle message, which says, don't panic and think you have to elect them in an yes. electorate. They're going to get in anyway. And that's a really good point because people go, oh, look at Epsom, right? Look at what National enacted in Epsom and do in Epsom, the deal splitting. Why don't the Labour and the Greens just do that and be as clever as those people on the centre-right? Well, there's a good reason why they don't because Epsom is a very different scenario. One of those things. Rodney Hyde won Epsom having stood there two times before and lost. He lost two elections in Epsom before he won the third one. So there was a real commitment to the seat. It was also National's seat to give. They always get 40 to 60% of the vote there, so they can control the vote much more. And the third point is the one you're making, Lisa, which is that ACT was looking like a way out the door. So a National Party voter could say, gee, if we need a a, a, um, coalition partner, um, and they did, um, then we need to get ACT in there because they're only on a couple of percent um, uh, as a party vote. So we better vote Rodney Hyde this time. So there was all of those perfect storm elements that came together for for Hyde to take Epsom. And remember the first time against, um, you know, Richard Worth was still fighting for it back then. Yeah, and Labour has a real... um not a problem, but they have to be careful, right? It has to be two ticks everywhere because if it's not, if they're doing a deal in Auckland Central, then what stops them from doing a deal in Northland Yeah, uh, and, and allowing the other party to now come through the door as well? Because Northland pull out for Shane Jones at the weekend, 15%, a distant third. I was not surprised by that at all because uh, the previous candidate for New Zealand First was Winston Peters and obviously he had a massive profile and there was backlash uh, at the time that he gained the seat against the... the ten inc- Bridges and the Well, yes, and the but, candidate also, but also the, the National Party um, MP disappeared off the face of the earth and, <laughs> you know, and, and voters were not particularly happy about that with little or no explanation. So there was a bit of a protest vote in there and you had a, uh, a very high-profile high um, candidate, a party leader and that's different to just getting someone yeah. you know, someone else from the party. Um, so I wasn't surprised by that and the more interesting thing for me is Willow Jean Prime has really um, 
she's done the graft. She's out there at Flax Roots, and her profile locally, arguably, has gone up exponentially. Yeah, she's a good MP, and uh, I actually think she's got a she's got a good future ahead of her. Willow Jean. Um, the other interesting thing in that one is that Labor's party vote has gone up above national uh, in that electorate, and again, just shows that that prime minister's pull and how much can yeah. change in a week of politics. Right? There could be some really interesting seats with the whole Labor Dern pull bringing some some votes across, and we'll get into that and many other issues in later episodes of Caucus. We got to wrap it up, guys. Thanks, God. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Lisa. Kakite. All right, if you uh, want to listen to the podcast uh, and get it delivered to your device every week, just go to wherever you get your podcasts Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, you know the drill. Thanks for joining us. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.